Hogwarts unifies people, but can we do something with that unity? It's Tuesday, June 20th. I am senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The idea of mixing sports and social issues is repellent to a whole lot of people. Most many people want sports to be the thing where they don't have to think about the rest of society's problems. But at the same time, sports represents a pretty unique opportunity to have certain conversations because for that very same reason, it brings people together of all walks of life. My guest today is Diane Billings Burford. She's the CEO of Rise, which is an organization devoted to using sports to start conversations about race and race relations. That's not easy work. And honestly, it's fair to wonder why anyone would bother. But I think after listening to Diane, it might start to make more sense. Here's our conversation. Okay, I'm joined now by Diane Billings Burford, CEO of Rise. Welcome, Diane. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, first, why don't you just start by telling us what is Rise? What do you do? Yeah, so Rise is a national not-for-profit. We are about seven years old now. Um, And I love this question because we really took the time to hone and and relook at our mission about four years ago. And so we're pretty clear. We're national not-for-profit. Our mission is to educate and empower the sports community. And we do that on fairly specific things, which is we educate and empower to eliminate racism, to promote social justice, and to improve race relations. And I think that makes us different from a lot of organizations. I think there are a lot of organizations needed. Um, I'm excited that there are a lot of organizations in this space, but we're pretty clear that, you know, we are about educating to unify, but unifying based on truth. And so, you know, if you're talking about how we do that, we now educate We break it up into three or four audiences. We have a youth audience, which is generally high schoolers. Um, We have a robust collegiate program. We have a a core curriculum that we use to um, create all of our modules from. Um, And we work quite a bit with the professional sports space in almost every professional sport that you can think of. So many folks um, think of us in connection with the NFL Uh, But we also have robust partnerships with the NBA, um, but also maybe less um, obvious partnerships like with sailing. We have a great program, a great um, partnership with SailGP in the sailing space. Um, We do quite a bit with NASCAR. Uh, So we, we educate and empower the sports community from the young person in high school to the professional and even executives in the professional space as well. Got it. And why sports as the platform and the focus of what you do? Such a good question. Prior to this, I actually managed the Time Warner Foundation. Uh, and, I, and there, our focus was the arts. Um, and so for me personally and for the organization, I think there are a few things that really go to the core of the human experience. And I think when we work with those things, we really are able to have a greater impact. Um, And just like I believe uh, the arts are that, whether it's performing arts or visual arts, um, I believe sport is that as well. It is this human experience that if you begin the really difficult work with this human experience, this common human experience that we kind of get, no matter what your perspective in life has been, um, 
it allows you to really get educated about things. It allows you to really tap in. Um, in many instances, because of the history of our country and quite honestly, global history, these are hard topics. These are difficult subjects. These are topics that it's not always easy to move people on, and it's certainly not easy to be transparent about. And so our thought is that if you begin with this human experience, it really allows for more movement. Um, you know, as you were talking about being on the West Coast, I think one of the times I've seen that most is we run a program with the Rams called Rise with the Rams. And so every year now for four or five years, they brought together really like football teams from diverse high schools together to engage in our curriculum, 10 weeks. Um, and I don't think it's actually that simple to bring affluent people and people who have less means together um, and have these difficult conversations. It's not easy to bring together folks who are Latino, folks that are African-American, folks that are Caribbean-American, people who are white Americans together to talk about race. But that's what we seek to do. And we seek to do it so that everyone has the same terms. Everyone has the same definitions. Everyone's engaging in reflection and critical thinking. And we think that's what it's going to take to really unify us and kind of move the needle on where we are. Yeah. And before you mentioned... Um... You, you unify based on truth and, you know, in this country, as in many parts of the world, sometimes we can't even agree on what the truth is. And so what one person calls the truth can be something that cuts against an effort to unify. So does that, is that a challenge for you? Yeah. And we love it. We love it. You know, one of the things, so let me say we, we, we um, educate on six major topics and more, we think there are probably six skills that folks need to build for us to be able to do this. And one of them that we teach really early, Owen, is perspective taking, right? And so to your point, right, depending upon, we use this quote, what's real in this perspective is real in its consequences. So when you're talking about someone's truth, right, like their perspective definitely impacts everything in their life. The, the, like the consequences for them, that is truth. Um, and we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that right from the beginning. And we really seek to have folks acknowledge that about one another. So you and I could literally be looking at the same thing, the same image, and see something different. Okay, like that's the truth. And so what do we do in those moments? And I think historically, what we have done is chosen not to have these conversations together because we know that I'm coming from a different truth than you. But this is where that has landed us and, and where we are is not okay, right? And so we've got to figure a way through this. We have to figure a way to say, I understand you have a, a perspective. I need you to understand I have a perspective. And then we need to have a conversation with that understanding uh, about one another. And then I think some of the things that I, I do actually give the collegiate students credit with this. And, and I will say some of the high school students we, we educate as well. They have pushed me a bit on this topic in ways that I have loved because there are some things that are just truth. And what we have allowed, right, are certain narratives to make, you know, alternative facts. And in truth, like if we just talk about truth, there's some things that just are not factual. And we have to get to that point as well. Um, so one of the really basic things folks often laugh when we talk about starting here, but it's necessary. 
we have a, a module called diversity concepts. And we literally say, okay, let's all define race. And it seems simple, but it's stunning. When you get a diverse group of people together and people define race, I mean, you're probably not going to be surprised. You actually don't come out with the same definitions. So in fact, folks are having conversations and we think we're talking about the same thing, but we aren't talking about the same things, right? But you need to have that time to even say, oh, like shit, we're going to, okay, we're going to define race like this together. So when we say race in this group, this is how we're defining it. Now we're talking about the same thing. Um, you know, so I, I think it's hard. We acknowledge perspective taking right from the top. We see it as a skill that folks have to build. And I think Generation Z has pushed us to say, skills aside, some facts are facts, and, and we got to call those facts. And the other things we have to talk about, your pers- we have to see is your perception of the facts. Yeah, I mean, that almost makes me think of just like broader educational theory, I, I've seen, you know, the case made kind of rather convincingly that if someone's struggling with, you know, advanced algebra, it's because they never like fully understood beginner algebra. And, you know, you can trace that through, you know, back through the beginning and it doesn't have to be just be math. It can be kind of anything. Um, and so I'm not surprised that you, you get a zillion different definitions of race, probably for every single person you ask. Um, for an organization that lists eliminate racism as as a goal, I mean, for some reason, people, I'm sure that sounds like eliminate disease or like, you know, eliminate suffering. What does progress look like for you? Yeah, I love that. Um, and just so you know, right, I think Rise has an incredibly, of course, I think it because I'm the CEO, incredibly bright team from our board um, to our entire staff. Right. And we have these conversations and we have kind of landed at the go big or go home. So do we think the eliminating racism is to some degree aspirational? Absolutely. But we feel like this is a type of issue that if that's not what you're shooting for, like you're not getting anywhere. I don't know. Right. People talk about can things be can they happen in a lifetime? So perhaps not in my lifetime. Uh, But as a parent, I would like to think in two to three generations, potentially, could we have this world where the racism, the way that we experience it, is eliminated? I mean, there are things, if we look back historically, that I would say that our ancestors never would have believed that we are where you and I literally are at this moment. A white man sitting here having a conversation with a Black woman on the other side of the country, we have equal technology. We have equal education. There's this understanding that we're both talking to human beings of a certain intellect and we can have deep conversations. This, where we are right now, there was a time when this was unthinkable. Like literally folks were like, that shit will never happen. Yeah. And your title is CEO, just to toss one more in there. Right. Like, and I'm the CEO of an organization that is very much connected to white people and privilege and power, right? Like we actually are living in a reality that folks would have said could not have happened. Um, And so I, you know, we move with, we have to be working for a reality that people can't see right now, but we got to believe it could happen because it can happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I really go back and forth or like, on one hand, you, you can read the news basically any day to like get a feel for how bad things can be. 
Uh, on the other hand, yeah, you you look back, basically things are better than almost than maybe any other time in the past. This might be the best we've ever had it in terms of race relations in the um, uh, and any number any number of metrics. So I I would I love I love that and would love to add to that to say I, I think it's an excellent example. It's better, and, and I don't think in any way you're saying we have arrived, but I think it's important for us to acknowledge that there was a time, right, where in papers, literally folks were taking pictures of lynchings and writing about them as, like, forms of justice, right? Like, literally, that was just, like, mainstream media, right? And so that we're at the point where, even that we're at the point where media is saying, this is what happened, it is wrong, or is it wrong, and, and pushing the populace to think about it, is progress. Is it enough progress? No. Is it enough progress to stop it from happening? No, but it is a sign of progress. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I wanted to, to get your thoughts on a somewhat different topic, which is, uh, how does it strike you when you see, I'll use the NFL putting end racism in their end zones as an example Clearly a performative act. I mean, obviously it's, it's not meant to be more than a performative act. I don't think they think that they're ending racism by doing that. And they don't have to put anything in their end zones. Um, on the other hand, it sort of feels like, you know, they're, they're checking the box. They're saying like, hey, you can't call us racist. We put end racism in our end zones. You know, don't bother to look at our hiring practices or anything else. So, yeah, how does it strike you when when you see stuff like that? Yeah, so I've actually had those moments and I have folks ask me this question a lot. And I love that people ask me this question a lot because, again, we work with a lot, um, quite a few of the NFL teams and the league itself. Um, One of the things I would, and I don't say this to evade the answer, but one of the things is I think we have to acknowledge is that organizations are made up of people. And when you're talking about an organization the size of the NFL or the size of an entire team, we've got to acknowledge the folks that are sitting there that this is not performative for them, that this is their greatest desire, that they want the place they work and spend their time at to be about this. Um, I don't think anybody intelligent, if someone says to me, and they have said it, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But if someone says to me, we're not racist, we put in racism in, in the end zone, those are the people I know Rise has to spend the most time with. Like, like, dude, you don't get it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we we know, right? Like, that does happen. And we're like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, there are a thousand other markers to look at. And at the same time, I would give an example of the commanders. I think it's very interesting. And we have worked with the commanders organization quite a bit. And it's tough, right, to be a person that works at that organization, that loves that organization. And they talk about, you know, Diane Rise, we have to live with everyone's like, oh, the commanders are racist. The commanders are this. The commanders are that. And they're actually individuals that are fighting for this just the way I'm fighting for this, just the way you and I are talking about this. And this is where they work. So I do think the sign in the end zone can be seen as performative or you could see it as aspirational, or you could see it as someone in their workplace fighting for their workplace to be more representative of what they care about than what others in their workplace may care about. 
Um, I, th- I think there are different ways to look at that sign in the end zone. Um, and I don't think it takes away. I don't think in doing that, you take away from the fact that, yeah, I think somebody probably approved it because they think it's good for business. I'm not saying be ignorant of that, um, but I am suggesting we got some great people working at organizations everywhere. Um, and it, it means something to them when their organization is doing that. Yeah, that's it's just like a, a helpful set of thoughts for me because every time I see end racism in the end zone, I, I have all all these conflicting thoughts of like, well, they don't have to put it there, but you know, you're like, how about hire a black coach and you don't have to put anything in the end zone? Like, I get it. I think that's healthy thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we should wrap this up, but before we go, what's what's something you're excited about for um, uh, for the next year going forward? What are you looking forward to? I think I am always looking forward to the thing that I don't know to expect. Um, You know, I mentioned my team. I think the RISE team is always out building partnerships. We are intentionally committed to doing this work in places that may be less receptive. Uh, We're getting ready to roll out some programming at schools in the South that folks said, they're not going to work with you. And we're there. And they are. Uh, I don't want to name them yet, but when we do it, I'm happy to name them. Um, and we've done that in the past and we'll do it again. You know, I, I mentioned sale GP. I'm excited when we go to places that are majority white and, and say, we need to have this conversation. This is not like a black and the people of color conversation. This is a everybody conversation. Um, always excited, right? We do the same with NASCAR. I'm excited. There are times that I get inspired and God knows in this work, you need it. But, uh, you know, had a had a person who's involved with NASCAR say to me, oh, my goodness, have you heard of the Freedom Riders? They're amazing. They're like American heroes. I should have learned about them. And then they paused and said, oh, like that might be an example of systemic racism that I never heard about them. And it's, you know, small moments like that. I'm like, there's these multiple aha moments um, at places that places we don't expect them. And so that's, I, I'm always looking forward to that. And I'm, I'm ready for some more of those moments. I need some more of those moments. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Van Billings Burford, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Owen. That's it for today. We have the NBA draft this week and a whole lot more. Subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Rate us, review us on the podcast service of your choice. Helps other people find the show, which we greatly appreciate. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.